Welcome to Nefarious New York. I'm Allison. And I'm Meredith. Um, I think. You didn't sound sure. <laughs> so we're going to do a couple of shout outs tonight. Yes, we are. To uh, The first one I want to do is to a friend of mine who is going to come on the show at some point and talk about some of the cases in his career as a New York City police officer. And he just had a minor surgery. So I just want to wish him a speedy recovery. So that's to Chris. Speedy recovery, Chris. And we love our law enforcement officers. Yes. So and much then, respect to them. And you have a... I, got, I have two. Uh, one is uh, long overdue. My <laughs> sorority sister. Oh, God. <laughs> um, Ro. Just wanted to give a shout out to Roro. She has the world's greatest eyebrows. And another very special shout out to Dan, who grew up across the street from me. All right. Well, thanks for listening, Ro and Dan. Mm -hmm. So tonight's case is one that happened in our hometown of New Rochelle. This one is a little tricky for me. I'm going to be honest, because I do know the family. They're a great, wonderful family and uh, no judgment at all. But uh, this did happen, unfortunately. So, Mara, just tell us a little bit about the crime committer <laughs> that we're going to talk about tonight. Frederick Cowan was born June 1st, 1943, as you said, in our hometown of Nurshell, New York. He went to Blessed Sacrament Elementary School and graduated the eighth grade in 1957. He then went on to Stepanak High School, which we have referred to before, which is one of one of the schools that our lovely Monsignor, Monsignor White, was a, I don't know if he was... Pedophile at? <laughs> yeah. Basically, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. And he graduated in 1961. While there, he was a good student and part of the football team. He enrolled and went to Villanova College for engineering, but suddenly dropped out in 1962. He then joined the Army, and his military career was short-lived. And while in Germany... He lifted up a car and trashed it with his bare hands, and he was court-martialed for this, but he did avoid jail time. After that, he left the scene of a car accident and was given a, a general discharge. In March of 1965, Cowan returned to New Rochelle, which was his hometown, and he was a changed man, right. which we will come to find out. So at the beginning of... February 1977, Frederick Cowan was working as a trucker's helper at the Neptune Moving Company. Mm -hmm. Okay. And he had worked there for about seven years. Now, the Neptune Moving Company employed over 300 workers. The building was a two-story tinted glass office building at the front with a long garage in the back and a warehouse. And they had just dozens of tractor-trailer trucks. He had recently been suspended from work for two weeks for insubordination, they said, which is basically he didn't listen to his right. boss. He was on a job and his boss had asked him to move a refrigerator and he refused to do it for whatever reason. I have no idea. So Norman Bing was the supervisor and he was a 31-year-old Jewish man. He's the one that ordered his suspension. On February 14th, Cowan was scheduled to end his suspension and return to work. So at 7.45 a.m. on February 14th, Cowan drove his GTO to Neptune 
and calmly got an arsenal of weapons out of his trunk. He went inside the building and first saw a white co-worker and warned him to leave. He turned his rifle on two African-American men, Fred Holmes and Joseph Hicks, that were waiting in the office for their work assignments, and they died instantly. Mm. Next to be killed was James Green. He was a packer for the company and was waiting in the driver's area. Cowan then put the gun in Ronald Cowell's face and told him, go home and tell my mother not to come down to Neptune. Cowan was shouting for Bing, but Bing stayed hidden in an office and he could hear Cowan asking people if they had seen him. Bing later said, I heard the shots and I knew he was after me. He made that clear. Next to be shot was Joseph Russo, a company dispatcher who was in the dispatcher's office. He was shot in the abdomen, but survived so is he shooting other people besides african-american yeah i think he just the first two were african-american and then james green was not and joseph Rousseau was not they were just two white men right next he shot and i'm sure i'm gonna say this name wrong pariyaral Varghese. i'm gonna go with that uh, an asian indian who was in the company cafeteria having coffee with co-workers, and he was killed. The final victim was the first police officer to arrive on the scene, Alan McLeod. He was shot shortly after 8 a.m. while he was walking towards the building. He was hit in the head, chest, and heart, and he was killed instantly. So he had just pulled up, you know, got the call and pulled up and was just getting out of his car. As McLeod lay on the ground, Cowan fired more shots into his body. One officer involved said about McLeod, quote, I saw him laying there. The gunfire, it was so intense, we couldn't help him. It brought tears to my eyes. Three other police officers were injured. John Fitzgibbons was shot in the hand and had to retire as a result of his injury. Vincent Fontanarosa was shot in the arm. And Raymond Satira was shot in the leg and continued to suffer from pain throughout his life. He passed away in 1997 while jogging. Okay, so those are all of the victims. So how many do we have? We have three injured police officers, three dead co-workers, and one injured co-worker, and one dead police officer. Okay. You know, I, I wasn't aware of all of the details, mm-hmm. but obviously, obviously tried to look into this case a little bit, not wanting to look in too, too much because it's kind of weird when you know the people that are related to him, you kind of want to distance yourself from it. And because the family is such a great family, um, I just, I don't know. And I didn't want to do too much research because I also knew that we would eventually probably cover this case. Right. Uh, For almost an hour, Cowan fired at the police. So they didn't return fire because they didn't know who was inside. They didn't want to hit anybody. Uh, He shot, his shots hit police cars, civilian cars, and moving vans. This I think is crazy. The bullets also shattered windows in an unoccupied school across the street and other buildings up to two blocks away. That seems far. Right. And, And I don't. I don't know what it looked like back then, mm-hmm. but what I can say now is it, there's a lot of, it's a little bit industrial down there, but mm-hmm. there is also a lot of traffic 
that kind of goes up and down the street by the area that you're referring to. Mm -hmm. So back then, I'm not sure if that still was the case, but it was a pretty popular way of transit for people because you also have 95 that's not far from there either. Yeah, it's right there. Oh, so also Cowan was shouting out of the window that he had grenades and ammunition that would last him all day. So he was kind of letting them know he was ready to just hang out and keep this going all day. Where do people get that stuff? I mean, I know he was in the service, but... But where would... He didn't have the internet. Right. Like to order... Like, I don't even leave my house practically anymore. I order everything. Did he have grenades? We'll find out. Okay. Okay. At about 10.30 a.m., a tank rolled down the streets of New Rochelle. So this started at 7.45. Right. Right. So now we're going 8.45, 9.45. It's going on for a couple of hours now, which right. is, it's a long time to be getting shot at and having all of this commotion oh, going yeah. on. It's, like officers are dodging this. Right. One officer said that he pulled up and instantly the shots started hitting his car and he just like literally threw it in reverse and just gunned it and went through like an, a building behind him, like through uh, someone's business. Right. So right. It's, it's pretty chaotic. Around 1030, a tank came down the street with the officers shadowing it so that they could walk behind it and use that as their protection and shield so that they could finally get to Officer McLeod, who had been laying right. there for over two hours at this point. Wow. Ima and can you imagine that? Like an army tank mm -hmm. coming down the street. That must have been crazy to see. And this is, you know, a nice family town. It's not, Nourishelle is not what you would consider. I still consider it a you know, family town. You know, back in that time, it was, you know, very, very residential. When the police finally got to McLeod, uh, they said that over the radio, one of the officers that was with him said, McLeod is no longer with us. So sad. So that's how they knew that they had lost him. I'm guessing, though, if he was laying there for two hours, not moving. Right. right. At 12.30 p.m. We're going like hours Oh, this and lasts hours. 10 hours, I think. So at 12.30 p.m., Cowan called the Nourishell Police Department. He apologized for the inconvenience that he had caused, and he asked for some food. He wanted hot chocolate and potato salad. That I remember. He said, I'm not going to hurt anyone at this point. I get very mean when I'm hungry. But he didn't get the food. They didn't give him the food. All right. I don't know. What would you ask for in that situation? A Royale with cheese. Oh, God. <laughs> I, 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 I don't, I know I shouldn't joke about it, but I, a, a therapist? <laughs> I don't think I'd want hot chocolate and potato salad. I'm trying to think of what I'd want as potentially my last meal. And I mean, did you think that's what he was thinking or no? He was just hungry. He just I mean, wanted he hot just... chocolate and potato salad. That just seems like a random request. Yeah. So at some point, police brought Cowan's mother, father, and two brothers to the scene to try to contact him so that maybe they could talk him down. But they were never able to make contact with him. So only when he called the police, that was the only time anyone was able to talk to him. Right, because remember where when this happened. We don't have modern technology. We don't have cell phones. We don't have computers. We don't have email or internet or any any of that. So right. it wasn't that easy. At 3 p.m., there was one final shot. 
So the police had to wait, though. They couldn't just rush in there because they didn't know who was shot, if he was still in there getting ready to ambush them. So they waited about three more hours. I was going to say, well, I mean, how long do you wait? When I you- guess when there was no, because he was pretty active yelling at them and shooting. So when that's not happening for three hours, they're kind of piecing together what happened in there. So right. they do enter the building at 6 p.m. And they found Cowan dead from a self-inflicted wound to his right temple. One pistol was found in his right hand, and then another one laid next to him. On a desk nearby were two more pistols, and the rifle was leaning against a chair. Cowan was wearing khaki pants, a U.S. Army field jacket, and a military-style beret with the death's head symbol on the front. Under the jacket, he wore a white t-shirt with the National States Rights Party Thunderbolt with the words white power on the chest. He also had a nine-inch hunting knife in his waistband. They didn't remove the body right away because they thought maybe he had some grenades, grenades on him that right. were engaged. Right, because he did refer to that earlier on in right. the, in the, during the crime. So they brought in the bomb squad and they you know, cleared it and his body was finally removed. Now, the t-shirt that he was wearing was the National States Right Party and they were about free white America, complete racial separation, expulsion of all Jews from the U.S., and confiscation of what the group called ill-gotten Jewish wealth. This is the description that I got. This is not me saying any of these words. Right, right. Their motto was, honor, pride, fight, save the white. The group was in existence from 1958 to 1987. So just a little bit about Cowan. Um, On February 14th, which was the day of the crime, 1977, we were two, by the way, Mm -hmm. uh, Cowan was 33 years old and 250 pounds and six feet tall. He was an amateur weightlifter and appeared in weightlifting magazines as a model. He was covered with tattoos of iron crosses, knives, skulls, swastikas. His hatred of Jewish and African-Americans ran so deep that he threatened interracial couples, trashed a bar when he realized that he was talking to a Jewish girl, and I don't like this one, he kicked a puppy because its fur was black. So I assumed that, like, with other cases, they now go and they search his apartment and they find out a little bit more. Although I'm sure people, he didn't seem to hide any of this. I mean, he seemed to be very, very open about his hatred. Right. In a room in his attic, they found Nazi armbands, swastikas, books on Hitler, and an arsenal of weapons. Cowan had written on the wall, They won't take the gun from my hand until they pry it from my cold, dead fingers. Police also found these words written by Cowan. Nothing is lower than African American and Jewish people except the police who protect them. Mm. Something that I've always wondered after hearing about the story is, you know, it seems like he was pretty normal, right, before all of this happened. And then he goes to Germany and he's in the military. And is this when he seemed to have changed? Did you find anything about people who knew him or? I tried to find out what could have possibly triggered it while he was in Germany to see if there was like anything that happened there. 
I guess there was a group of military from the U.S. that did come back kind of siding with mm -hmm. Hitler and Nazism and those ideas. Right. So he came back with those ideas, and I think he just got more, I don't, I don't want to say radicalized, right, right. but well, that's it, what that's I mean. That's what it is. I mean, and, it's, um, it's a radicalization of anything in excess is dangerous to me. Right. I don't care if you are, and I'll, I'll probably get, for lack mm -hmm. of a better word, crucified for this, but anything, even religion, if you are that into it, it's just not good. No. It's it's not good. It It's just it, too much of anything is not a good thing. Right. As far as I'm concerned. So um, he also, I think at one point, once they said um, when he was out at bars or hanging out with people and if he got really drunk, he wanted to be called some Hitler Nazi officer's name. I think it was like Reinhardt or something like he wanted people to call him that. Right. So he was really going off the deep end with this stuff yeah but it's you know very sad because he came from a very good family being from Nourishell, you talk to a lot of people that remember when this happened and when I was talking to a source uh, very close to me he said that he remembers the day very vividly he and his friends were about I would say about 20 years old at the time he also said that his uncle worked at Neptune, and remembers that Frederick Cowan did not like him at all. So he actually went into the bathroom and hid on top of a toilet with the doors closed because he knew that he was going to be a target mm -hmm. of Cowan's. So he was on top of the toilet, and he remembers hearing Cowan kind of like throw the doors open, go into the bathroom... He looked around or whatever, and then he left. But he said, if he knew I was in there, he definitely would have killed me. He hung out in a bar called Ring 30 a lot, and people just kind of stayed away from him because they knew that he was kind of a loose cannon, unfortunately. Okay. Anyway, that's just a little, a little tidbit. Okay. So the building that was the Neptune Moving Company is now a Home Depot. Mayor, um, I just kind of named the victims... Okay. So if you could just, I mean, there wasn't much background info on them, but if you could just give us what I found. Absolutely. So the, the first, um, not necessarily in order, but well, it is one order. of the victims. Okay. They're in order. Um, Joseph Hicks was 59 years old and had worked for Neptune for 27 years, and he was a father of three. Fred Holmes was a driver for the moving company, and he was 54 years old and lived in the Bronx. He... Uh, was the father of three grown children and had worked at Neptune since 1968. So this happened in 1977. Mm -hmm. So he was there quite a while as well. Uh, James Green was 44 years old. He had three grown children and was caring for three of his grandchildren. That's pretty young to be a grandfather. Um, this was his first day back on the job after a two-month layoff. Uh, Joseph Russo was 24 and was taken to the hospital for surgery, but he did die six weeks later. Perry Yarl was 32 years old and had just moved to the U.S. three months prior, 
and he started working at Neptune on February 3rd. So this happened on the 14th. So right. he was there, you know, a couple of weeks at best. Um, officer Alan McLeod was 29 and had been an officer for seven years, and he was married and had two small children. So unfortunately, you know, a very tragic uh, but very famous case that did happen in New Rochelle. So that's the case of the Neptune Moving Company, Frederick Cowan, disgruntled employee murder. Not really a disgruntled employee. Well, he got fired. Was I mean, of... he got suspended. So, so he was. Uh, so that was probably the, that was the button for him, I think. Well, I think the Jewish supervisor suspending him was. Right. Right. So if you're enjoying what we're doing, please give us five stars, write a review, don't do what my son did, and give us one star. Um, go to the website. You could donate on PayPal. Yeah. That would be great. That, uh, we're going to have merch coming soon. Merch coming soon. We're not sure if we're going to sell it, give it away, combo of both. All right. So that's it for this episode. We will see you guys next week. Or maybe you won't see it. It smells like gym socks in here. I don't smell it at all. <laughs> I'm so immune to it. Nefarious New York. Stay tuned for uh, bloopers from Allison and Meredith after the music. <laughs> So we're good. The red light is on. And I'm going to make up a song. So Frederick. 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 Frederick Cowan. Frederick Cowan. Frederick. Vincent Fontero. Fuck. Fontana Rosa. Okay. And I don't like this. He kicked a puppy just because it's fur. <laughs> was black. I did just find him replaced them all. <laughs> it's fur was African American. I'm looking at it like what? He hated all African American puppies. <laughs> it's me now you're good okay after 